Welcome, listeners, to episode number 18 of the Andrew Food for Thought podcast. Today, I am joined with my friend Danny Chang, and this is going to be a little bit of a different episode. Um, Danny is going to be interviewing me. We're going to be uh, switching roles, and I'm going to be in the hot seat. And uh, Danny has a few questions that uh, he's going to be asking me today. Um, We're doing this interview over the phone. Uh, Typically, when I do a phone interview, it's because the guest is in another city, uh, somewhere else in the country. Um, Danny and I actually both live in San Francisco, but uh, certain circumstances right now with the coronavirus going on, uh, so all the restaurants are closed in San Francisco, and uh, we're having to do this um, remotely. Uh, So, you know, we certainly hope that everybody's staying safe and and doing well uh, with the coronavirus going on, but... Um, Danny and I both have a little more free time on our hands, so uh, we thought it would be a good time to uh, record a podcast. So, um, you know, with that, Danny, I'll go ahead and kick it over to you and uh, let you uh, get started with the interview. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Hello, everyone. My name is Danny Chang, a longtime friend of Andrew's. Excited to be here today recording the podcast and kind of digging into the minds of the mastermind behind the behind the podcast, Mr. Andrew Litweiler. Um, we're practicing social distancing. I hope you are too here. Um, and we are both here in San Francisco. Um, and to get us kicked off, I think my first question that I had when I first realized that you were doing all these podcasts and listening is Andrew, what was your motivation behind getting this podcast started? Um, I know you're a big foodie to begin with, but you know, um, and everyone always has a thought of maybe doing a podcast or maybe a YouTube video on, uh, their thoughts on their specialties. Um, but that's distance between having that thought into execution is huge. Um, so I guess one, one question is what is your motivation? And two is how did you get started and why did you get started? Yeah, definitely. That, that's a really good question. Um, so it was, it was, uh, kind of a long journey for me to get to the point where I was like recording a podcast, uh, specifically this one. Uh, so I started this in February, 2019. Um, that's when the Andrew food for thought podcast started. And the, the title of the podcast actually came from a food blog that I had been doing. Uh, the, the food blog I started when I was in college, um, back in like 2013 when I was junior and, it was uh, titled Andrew Food for Thought. So since I already had the blog going, I figured, okay, I'll use the same uh, title for, for this podcast that I'm getting started. So, you know, going back to when I was in college, um, there was a specific time where I was out uh, for, for breakfast at a restaurant called Runcible Spoon uh, in Bloomington, where I went to school. And I was with a couple of friends, um, Haley Young and Christina Chen. So shout out to them. Uh, they, were, they were kind of the ones that uh, pushed me along and uh, encouraged me to get started with the, with the podcast. Uh, so we were out there having breakfast. And I, like you said, I'm a foodie. I mean, I, I have this tendency to just like enjoy talking about food and kind of trying to share that passion with others. And they were like, Andrew, like you're always talking about food. Like, why don't you just like write it down? Why don't you like put it on paper or put it in a digital format? Uh, so that was kind of what sparked the idea. And, and I said, okay, you know what? You guys are right. Let me just give this a try. Uh, so if you go online, andrewfoodforthought.tumblr.com, that's where you can find my uh, my blog. And so the very first post that was on there would be uh, Runcible Spoon. Uh, that's, what, that's where I got it all started. Uh, so I kept that going for a few years um, through college, through my early years of uh, living in San Francisco. 
And then, uh, you know, to divert the story a little bit. So I got into podcasting. Actually, um, it wasn't about food. It was it was like about the NBA. I started a podcast that was called the one three one. So I was doing that with a friend. Uh, his name is Nathan Bailey. And uh, so we had a common interest about basketball and we started this podcast and we would talk about the NBA. We talked about college basketball, um, the Olympics, the NBA draft, the Basketball Hall of Fame, just any random topics of basketball. But that, that was my first uh, step into podcasting. Uh, it was a lot of, we did it for maybe about a year. We did about 10 episodes. I think for Nathan and I, uh, we both were working in roles where we were traveling a lot. So I would be maybe down in Texas for two months of the year. Nathan, he would uh, he traveled to Orange County for like, I think, a, a duration of six months. So I think the travel kind of got to us and it was difficult to schedule. I think that's one big difference between, you know, having a co-host to do a podcast and doing kind of a solo thing like I'm doing now is that scheduling is can be quite challenging. I think Nathan and I, we kind of just like lost momentum on our podcast. Uh, so then, you know, fast forward to, uh, around the time when I started this, I had just, uh, gotten a new job I was traveling, uh, zero, like I had no, no work travel. Uh, so with, uh, having more free time on my hands, I just, uh, you know, that's where I kind of got this inspiration and maybe use this, uh, this passion that I had for doing the blog, put it into podcast form. And uh, so that's where I launched it. And then fittingly, I asked Nathan, you know, the, the former uh, podcasting host that I was working with, I asked him to be my first guest. And so we recorded that one uh, at Calzone's restaurant in North Beach. And so, yeah, for any listeners who haven't listened to that, that's how you can uh, check out where it all got started uh, with the podcast. Very nice. Man of many talents, basketball and food. So for our listeners out there who can't see us, um, we are actually on video chat while we are recording this. And Andrew and I saw you eating. Uh, can you tell us more about uh, what you were having uh, before we started the podcast? Originally, uh, Danny and I had discussed uh, maybe getting together and uh, just ordering takeout and, and uh, recording the podcast. But over the last couple of weeks, we realized that... Um, you know, the kind of like the threat of the coronavirus is more and more serious. So we were like, all right, let's call an audible. Let's just both order our own uh, takeout for the night. Um, I decided to go with some sushi. I think Danny went with uh, chicken katsu. Very good. Korean chicken katsu. Exactly. Uh, so, so yeah, I got uh, some salmon nigiri, some uh, shrimp nigiri, and then a sushi roll. Um, and it will tie into uh, some some of the topics we'll discuss later because we'll, I'll be talking about a sushi restaurant. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. I don't, I don't usually uh, order delivery very often, so it was kind of cool, um, you know, now that you can't go to restaurants to, to see what's out there on delivery. But uh, what, what did you think about the dinner? How was yours? It, it was pretty good. Um, so they have two different menus. So there is um, apparently the original dish that I want to order um, is called a, well, if you translate, it's called King Tonkatsu, but um, so it's a very large tonkatsu, but they don't have a big enough container for takeout, interestingly enough. So um, instead, they charge me the same price for a smaller pork katsu, the Japanese style. Um, but in the end, it's still tastes good, so I can't complain. Restaurants are having to adjust a lot with um, you know limited resources and not running their typical uh, kitchen. So might be a exactly, exactly. And as we promised, 
Andrew will share his thoughts on his favorite places in the city or maybe in Indiana that he might have been. Um, topic that I, or one question I want to ask you, Andrew, in terms of restaurants that you've been to um, in the city is, uh, what's our featured restaurant for today? What's your uh, favorite restaurant that you like to go to in the city? Uh, so the featured restaurant for today is One Market Restaurant. Um, one Market Restaurant, so I guess the quick overview of why I decided to feature it, I was trying to think, what is a restaurant that kind of like very much represents me? Like I could say like, this is a restaurant that I've been to and I've enjoyed and uh, it has some significance to me. Uh, so one market restaurant was actually the very first place that I ate when I got to San Francisco, oh. uh, when, I, when I came here for the first time. Um, so, so the background story on that was uh, I was interviewing with a company, uh, PwC, who I eventually ended up working at. Uh, so I was a junior in college. They said that they would fly me to San Francisco for like a fun round interview. And typically when you do those, you have like a pre-night dinner. So you go to a restaurant the night before the interview and it happened to be one market. And then we have the dinner, um, go back to the hotel the next day. I have the interview and end up getting an internship offer. So when I go back to one market, it's kind of like, uh, brings back good memories. Like, okay, this was the first time I was in San Francisco it was the weekend where I got an offer to, uh, you know, come back and live in San Francisco for a summer for the first time. So fast forward to the next summer when I'm doing the internship, uh, I get a calendar invite to go back to one market and there's 10 other interns and one of the partners at the firm. And at that lunch, he extended an offer to all of us to work full time at the company after we after we finished our uh, senior year wow. in school. Uh, so it's like the same restaurant, another great milestone, another great memory. It's like, okay, I got, got a full-time offer and I've been back there since. I mean, I've, I've been there multiple times for like, uh, business lunches or dinners. I've taken my family there. I've gone there with friends. So, I, you know, I was kind of thinking back like, all right, I've been there quite a few times trying to count it up. I think it's been about seven times I've been uh, to one market. Um, it's also very close to where I live. It's in my neighborhood. It's like right across the street from my old office when I was at PwC. Like in, in a weird way, it's kind of like, uh, kind of like represents like the start of like me living here, like me calling this place home. So that's, that's why it sticks out to me. And then just like to kind of like describe what it's like. So it's like right on the end of Market Street. So for those who haven't been to San Francisco before, Market's like one of the main streets that goes right through the financial district. So the restaurant is is right on the end of end of market, and you look out the windows, you can see the Bay Bridge, and at night it's all lit up, and you can see the ferry building, uh, you can see trolleys, and and you know just a lot of people going on the sidewalk, and there's there's like a grand piano in there, so maybe on like a Friday night, like somebody's playing the piano, and it's just, I would say it's just like very like traditional classic. They definitely cater to like the business crowd, like people bringing their clients there for lunch or for dinner. Um, there's, there's a massive hotel, like pretty much across the street, the Hyatt, where I think a lot of business travelers come uh, to stay here in San Francisco. Um, but yeah, the menu is just kind of like traditional new American. I would say a lot of seafood options, um, oysters, scallops, fish. Um, if, if you don't like seafood, you can go with a steak or, you know, pork or tenderloin or, or different things like that. And then a very good wine uh, list as well. So um, yeah, it's just like, I mean, you know, to be honest, it's not, it's not my favorite restaurant in the city, but I would say it's very good value. Uh, I've never had a bad experience there. And 
and yeah, I mean, I, I would highly recommend it. So um, yeah, one market restaurant, really, really good spot. So a combination of nostalgia, um, good food, and maybe an extra drink or two on the company dime. Is that is does that some? <laughs> I would say uh, so. I said I've been there seven times. Maybe four or five of those times were were paid for the comp by the company. So yeah, that's good. That never that's hurts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, maybe that makes it makes the memories a little bit better. even better. What's better than good food is free good food, everybody. <laughs> and exactly. do you remember? Uh, so this was um, so the first time you went was during your internship, which must have been about half a decade ago, probably a little more than that. Do you remember what you ordered at the restaurant? What What I do remember is uh, so you know, put it in context. I've I've been in San Francisco for a few years now, but at the time I had a very different appreciation for like high-end food you mm -hmm. know because i i grew up in a small town in indiana i went to school in a smaller town so i remember being just like very impressed by like the menu and the atmosphere and just like you know being in a big city and, and at a nice restaurant like that uh so i remember one of the um i guess you would have been like an associate or senior associate at the company um who was at that pre-night dinner like he was ordering all these appetizers and I was just like, man, like they're spending wow. like a lot of money. They must this. love and, me. That kind of scenario. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, he's and he asked, he asked the waiter, like, uh, so what would you recommend for the appetizers? And the waiter almost looked offended by the question. He's like, sir, everything is excellent. Like, <laughs> I, how can I, how can I recommend anything to you? <laughs> uh, so, but, but, but then, but then the waiter kind of said, well, if it was me, I, I really like this one, and I really like this one, and. Uh, so we got appetizers, we got our main dish, we got desserts. I was just like blown away. I mean, that, you know, that's why they do those pre-night dinners, like kind of like make you think like, oh, we're really going to take care of you and, and really impress, impress the uh, candidates. So, Especially um, to a bunch of, I'm sure, broke college students who's having instant noodles, pasta every day for dinner. And all of a sudden, yeah. <laughs> this associate who's probably with the company, probably another young person um, with the company for three years or so, associate, senior associate, I believe that's how it works. In accounting yeah, firms, exactly. um, he's probably just going. We'll take one of each. We'll, we'll take one of each item on the menu, and then how impressive is that? All right. So we talked about one market. You've been in the city for how long now? Six years, or it's uh, it's been a little over five years. Oh, yeah, five I moved over. in October 2014. 2014. Okay, so you, I'm sure you've had a chance to try out a, a lot of different restaurants. Can you give us a couple that you really like going to? Um, what you like to order from there? What you like about them? So uh, three restaurants that I would say have really stood out to me uh, here in SF. Um, the first one would be Sasaki. It's a sushi restaurant in the Mission. Um, the second restaurant is Acarello, which is uh, more of a fine dining, uh, new American slash Italian restaurant in Knob Hill, uh, kind of by Polk Gulch. And then the third one would be La Linda, which is an Argentine steakhouse, um, also in the Mission. To start with, uh, Sasaki. Um, so I went to Sasaki with a group of, uh, there was four of us, uh, some, some of my old colleagues. And um, one of the guys in our group, his name is Kei Miyajima. Uh, so he grew up in Japan. And I remember after we left Sasaki, he was saying like, like we walked out the doors and he was like, man, I just felt like I was in Tokyo. Wow. Because of like how authentic the restaurant was and uh, the food uh, being one one aspect of it, but also just like the ambiance, because um, it's an omakase dinner. Uh, so omakase is is different from a traditional restaurant in that 
you don't have a choice on what you order. It's like the the menu is set for you. The chef is doing it all. They've already chosen what you're going to eat, how much of it you're going to eat. And so you just, you just pay the price of the dinner and then it's it's all already taken care sort of, of like a chef's tasting menu that you would find at other american restaurants exactly yeah yeah so similar to uh to doing a tasting menu uh, we had found this place on yelp and you show up and one thing that i really like about sasaki it's literally like i feel like they do not spend a dime on marketing like they you go to their website it's the most plain thing you wouldn't even believe that it's like a real restaurant <laughs> Um, you, you show up to their building and you can't even tell that there's a restaurant there. It looks like an, like a house or an apartment building and you go up to the door and there's a little sign that says, uh, reservation only Sasaki. And so I showed up, I knock on the door cause it was locked. And a couple of seconds later, somebody opens it and says, Oh, we're not quite ready. Wait another five minutes. So I wait out there and then eventually they open the door with a big smile and say, all right, come on in. Uh, I go in and they have like a warm towel. You like wipe down your hands, you wipe down your face. They, they, they sit you at their bar. There's only 12 seats in the whole uh, restaurant. Cause you're all sitting where you can see the chef making everything in front of you. Uh, so they pour you a hot cup of tea, uh, hand you a menu. So you can look at the sake and, and the beer that they have at the restaurant. And then shortly after that, you get started with the dinner and it's, uh, I don't remember exactly like 15 courses, but each course is like, you know, small bites. So you get a couple of appetizers and then they start with nigiri and it's like 12 different pieces of nigiri, but each one is just like incredible. Uh, so they'll, they'll like bring out the fish and explain, you know, we imported this from Japan yesterday and it was like the freshest catch of the day. And this is the variety of fish that you have. And this is how we're going to cook it. One of the courses, they like bring out a blowtorch and they're, you know, like, um, cooking the fish in front of you. And this is the first and only time I've done omakase. Um, so I can't compare it to, to other restaurants, but I, I can say like, this is by far the best sushi I've ever had. And I'll trust Kay when he said like, he's, you know, spent time in Tokyo. He's lived in Japan. Like he was also like very impressed with the restaurant. So like when it comes to sushi, if I have to recommend something, I would recommend Sasaki in San Francisco. Um, it's it's more on the expensive end like it's not a place i would go multiple times a year but uh you know maybe once every four or five years it's like okay and number two was um another high-end restaurant uh, i think you said aquello um uh so num yeah number two Aquarello. Aquarello. um so that was a, a place that i went to um you know again on the company's dime so <laughs> always helps nice <laughs> Yeah, it, it always helps when you're able to take advantage of that. So Acarello, of of these three restaurants, I believe Acarello is the only one that's like um, Michelin rated. So Acarello has two Michelin stars. So I went there, um, you know, again, there's like a group of four of us. Um, the the thing that impressed me the most about Acarello, the reason I really enjoyed it was because of the service, like hands down the best service I've ever had at a oh, restaurant. Wow. So it's a little bit more like a place where you would dress up. Like when you look around, you see people are dressed a little nicer. Uh, you sit down and they come to you and they ask, do you want a black napkin or a white napkin? Because we want it to like, you know, match uh, the outfit that you have for the evening. And 
I've never been asked that question. Me neither, no. like, usually it's just like, here's a white napkin. Like, Take it or leave it. Maybe, maybe sometimes they'll like pull out yeah, a napkin. Like, like, like what, what color napkin do you want? And, and so uh, at the dinner, there were, there was two of us guys and two ladies as well. And for the ladies, they came up to them and said, Oh, we can bring a stool. So you have something to put your purse on like during the dinner. And it's just like these little details, like, like who thinks of this? Like I've never heard that question asked before. Like I'm going to bring a stool for you to put your purse. And it was just like that the whole night. Like everything was just like super accommodating. Uh, they just treat you like you're like a very special person. And you know, you're just like a customer, like you're just paying to eat at the restaurant. But um, you know, obviously the food was great, but the service is really mm. the thing that I would say made me say like this restaurant stands out in my mind. Um, but we did, you know, it was similarly like a course meal, like you have like a uh, five courses and then for each course you can kind of choose like here's a couple of options you can choose from. The restaurant, they call themselves an Italian restaurant. Uh, to me, it didn't seem very Italian. I mean, based on my experience, like we had one course that was a pasta course. Everything else to me felt more just like fancy American food. Uh, but I mean, I've I've never been to Italy, so I mean you know, maybe, maybe there was a lot of Italian influence that I'm just not, uh, not smart enough to know about. And even, uh, yeah, the other thing that stood out to me about that dinner was, uh, for dessert, they, or actually, I think if I remember correctly, we ordered dessert, we had a course of dessert, but then after that, they just brought out like this tower of like fancy macaroons and cookies and, you know, whatever pastries and said, Oh, you know, pick a couple off of the, off of the tower. So, um, we thought we were done. We already had our, our dessert course, but then it was like, oh, post-dessert uh, cookies and pastries and snacks. Really, really good memories of Accarello. Uh, probably similar to Sasaki. That's like once every five years. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be back there soon, especially because I didn't pay for it myself. I think the bill was quite a lot uh, with, with wine and everything. But yeah, really good memories. Uh, right over by Polk Gulch. Kind of, it's in a neighborhood area. Like the block that it's on is a lot of apartments. Um, so it's kind of like a cool neighborhood residential kind of feel. And then the last item in this restaurant, I've actually been to too. The other one, the other two, um, I'm fascinated to hear about them as you talk about them. Um, but the last one is Lolinda, I believe. Um, it's an Argentinian steakhouse located in the mission. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about what you ordered there? What you liked about it? Something about the restaurant perhaps? Yeah. So Lolinda, this, this one of the three restaurants, I would say Lolinda is kind of stands out as a different experience in that uh you know the price point is lower um it's more casual like lolinda's the type of place i would say you go with a big group like maybe you have you know 10 people that want to have a nice dinner and it's a place where you can dress a little more casually be a little bit louder um and right above lolinda is a nice rooftop bar called uh el techo so you know you can go there after dinner to get some drinks or maybe even before dinner um, and it's also in a cool area of the mission where there's other places for nightlife around there where you can go see some live music or, um, you know, go from one bar to the next. Linda's very cool. Um, about the menu. Uh, so it is a steakhouse. Um, you look at the menu, they have, you know, 10 different uh, varieties of meat that you can choose from. So you have like your sausages, your skirt steak, your New York strip. So, I mean, that's what Argentina is known for. Like, um, they culturally, uh, Sunday afternoons, they'll host barbecues at their house, get, you know, wood fire going, 
cook meat over the grill, bring over some bottles of wine, you know, just hang out the whole Sunday afternoon. So, I mean, I think that's kind of the vibe that they're bringing into this restaurant is just like hanging out with your friends, just enjoying like some well-cooked meat. And they, I, they do use a uh, wood fire. So they cook the meat over a wood fire. And uh, so typically when I go there, they also have some good side dishes that are, you know, more heavy on the vegetables. So, you know, I typically order a lot of meat, but I think it pairs well with like, you know, you get some skewers with onions and zucchini and mushrooms and, uh, you know, spinach or something like that. And so you have like a good uh, contrast of like, you know, your heavy meats and your lighter vegetables and different uh, textures. But then also like with the appetizers, they make really good empanadas, uh, good croquettes. Um, the ceviche is very good there. And the other thing that Lolenda is known for is like a very nice cocktail oh. menu. Uh, so uh, when I've been there, typically it's like you get a couple of cocktails and it also uh, pairs very well with the food that you can get there. Yeah, Lolinda, just very fun, cool atmosphere. Um, you know, two of the restaurants that I that I listed, Sasaki and Lolinda, they're both in the Mission. Um, I think the Mission is like a place that I really like to go. Like on a weekend, that's a place where I would go to hang out. Um, I've never been able to like live in the Mission before. I've always been in Soma. But in terms of like finding neighborhoods to go hang out on the weekend, like the Mission in North Beach, I would say are two of my favorites. And um, so, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that like some of my favorite restaurants have been there as well, uh, just because part of it is just like the vibe in the neighborhood. Like there's just like this energy and just like a fun place to go for a Friday. Or right, Saturday. right. Definitely an upcoming neighborhood. A lot of young people. Um, I had a buddy that um, grew up in San Francisco. He's a little bit older. So he's seen the ch- and he grew up in the mission. So he's definitely seen the change back in the day. Mission was a very rough neighborhood. Now it's an up and coming, um, a little gentrified, unfortunately, but still it's a lot safer than it was before. A lot of cool bars, as you mentioned. Uh, in terms of Lolinda, um, I think a question that I had, even when I was eating the steak at Lolinda, was what makes Argentinian steakhouse houses different from a regular steakhouse that you might find in maybe in the middle of Texas? Um, I've had Korean barbecue, um, Texas barbecue. Uh, you know, your generic steak restaurants. Um, are there any subtle differences? You did mention that, you know, this Argentinian tradition to on Saturday afternoons, grab a bottle of wine with your friends and eat all afternoon. Is that the main difference or in terms of the taste or in the, the cooking methods, did you find something different? So I think um, when I compare like Lolinda to a classic American steakhouse, I think a lot of the American steakhouses that I've been to, it's like, you order your personal steak. So like I'm going to get this eight ounce filet mignon or I'm going to get this 12 ounce, um, you know, New York strip. And so you get your piece of meat and then maybe you order some sides to share with the table. But uh, when I go to Lolinda, it's not like that. It's like we're ordering for the table. Like it's much more tapas style where we're going to order a little bit of the sausage. We're going to order a little bit of the skirt steak. And then we're going to, you know, cut it up into small pieces and share it um, as a table. Uh, so, so that's one thing I think, um, that makes Lolinda a little bit different. Uh, they're also, I believe, uh, well known for the chimichurri sauce, uh, which they put on some of the, like when I was looking at the, the website, um, you know, just to kind of like read through like, uh, their story and everything. So they also identify as being like a Argentine steakhouse that embraces like California ingredients. So, you know, they try to 
get things that are local, um, similar to, you know, a lot of nice restaurants in California have more of a farm to table concept, uh, which I think one market really embraces as well. So it's, it would probably be, the menu is probably different than what you'll find in, you know, Buenos Aires because they're using local ingredients and they are catering to, you know, the American clientele that they have uh, coming to eat there. Um, and I think, as I mentioned earlier, like they, they use wood, so they, they cook it over a wood fire, um, which, you know, perhaps gives it a little bit of a different, uh, different flavor, get, get some, some of that smoky flavor. So, um, it's just so good. Yeah. You, Dan, uh, so good. To, he's been there for if anybody's never been there, uh, check it out because, um, just, you know, the drinks, the steak, the empanadas, the, uh, you know, afterwards, go up on the rooftop, go to El Techo and, and observe the nightlife in the mission. And it's just it's alive. There's an energy to it. And, and the food is just incredible. Fantastic. And um, I feel like a lot of the uh, you mentioned a lot of restaurants that um, sounds like um, it's a it's a treat. It, you maybe go once a, once every three months, every two months. It's not a place that you would go every day. Um, do you have anywhere in the city that you like to frequent that's maybe, you know, people like um, people like me who just want to get a quick bite for dinner uh, would go to that you would enjoy eating multiple times? And yeah, certainly. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, very casual restaurants. I mean, like you said, like I go to these places very rarely. I've only been to Akarello one time. Uh, I've only been to Sasaki one time. They, those experiences just really stood out. Um, so the majority of my meals are, you know, grabbing a sandwich at the deli or grabbing a salad for lunch or whatever. In uh, my neighborhood, I like um, South Beach Cafe is a nice one. Um, it's I, I know the owners because, you know, I mean, they pour their heart and soul into that restaurant. Like any hour of the day I go there, it's the same people, you know, taking the orders, uh, preparing the food. Uh, so it's kind of like an Italian restaurant. I think they're Italian immigrants. Um and they have pizzas and pastas and sandwiches and salads and so that kind of stuff. So South real Beach mom and pop shop, a family restaurant or a family run business. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, during uh, during this time where we're kind of like quarantine lockdown, I've definitely been going there and, uh, you know, getting some salads and, and continuing to support. Um, another thing that I'm big on, you know, not fancy food. I think it's uh, part of my Midwest American upbringing, but. I, I eat sandwiches and I love a good deli. You know, that's something that uh, some of my past roommates have kind of poked fun at me for like, you know, being, being in love with sandwiches too much. Um, but I remember there where at my old office, there was a deli close by that I would go to all the time. And if I would get there early enough, I could get the croissant and then, you know, just get like a turkey croissant with, um, you know, some cheese, some jalapenos, lettuce, tomato, mayo, um, or, you know, being in the Bay Area, mix it up maybe do some dutch crunch because that's that's a thing that's uh local to the bay that you can't find everywhere else another place that comes to mind like when you talk about like small local establishments uh there was a place close to my old office uh it was like a south african restaurant uh and they would do what they call a chicken bunny chow uh so it's kind of like specific to a region in south africa called durban and Durban is known to have like a very large population of Indians that have migrated from India. And so their food has a lot of Indian influence. So the bunny chow is basically like an Indian curry. Like you get like a chicken curry, but then they throw it in like a bread bowl. So 
it's uh you get this massive bread bowl with a chicken curry inside it and like it's spicy it's it's warm it's good probably not the healthiest food but uh you know you like you imagine like the uh the clam chowder that you get in a bread bowl but instead of like a soup you're getting just like a dense chicken curry uh but it's so good i used to go there like every every year i'd go there for my birthday for a couple of years uh when i was working on my birthday so sounds like you've been to a lot of um not just your traditional american restaurants but you mentioned japanese you mentioned argentinian south african italian what's one type of food that you haven't experienced that you would like to or if you feel like you've tried most things that you wanted to uh then what would you say is one of your favorites that's not your pure traditional american Californian restaurants. That's a good question. Um, I, I mean, I've been fortunate to travel to a couple of countries, um, maybe about ten countries. I've I've never been to Europe before, though, so I think it would be fun to to go to Europe and and kind of like see what uh, what the restaurants are like in a country like Italy or Spain or uh, France or something like that. Um, in terms of my favorite cuisine, uh, I would say Mexican food. So, I mean, that has to do with my heritage. So my mom is Mexican-American. Um, so growing up, like my grandma would, would cook Mexican food. Um, and also just like I've been able to travel to Mexico a few times and really enjoyed uh, the food that I've tried there. So, yeah, I think Mexican food is just like it's very diverse, uh, very flavorful. Um, and then being in a, in a city like San Francisco, there's like a lot of different options you can go to. I was mentioning Lolo earlier. You have places like that that are higher end, more uh, modern Mexican food. Um, another one that stands out to me is El Buen Comer. Um, that's probably my favorite Mexican restaurant in the city. They they have a really good chicken mole. They do handmade tortillas. Um, and then you have a ton of like good taquerias. You have La Taqueria. You have El Papalote. You have Taqueria Los Coyotes. You have Taqueria Cancun. I mean, uh, the list goes on. Taqueria El Farolito. Uh, everybody has their favorite. Um, a lot of them are very good. Uh, so I, I think one of the more underrated taquerias in San Francisco is Taqueria Los Coyotes because their, their habanero mango salsa is just so good. Like I'll go there and I'll, I'll be having to like refill my little cup of salsa multiple times because you, uh, you can't get enough of that. So we've covered the high end. We've covered the casual restaurants. How about when Andrew, let's say it's a Friday evening when we are not quarantined, you've had maybe one or two or five too many drinks. You're stumbling on your way back home um, and you have, you are starving. What would your, what would be one of your go-to food? What would, what would your, one of your main food to grab uh, be? On your way back home i i've had this conversation with people before the the once you've traveled to other countries you realize that in the united states you don't have the same late night food options and you also don't have the same street food uh because of like certain uh you know health health code health violations maybe it's just like the barriers to entry uh to like start a food truck or or you know start making street food uh, so, you know, like if I go to a country, like I think of like Asian countries, like when I was in Taipei or when I was in uh, like Shanghai, like there's like incredible like late night food options. But in San Francisco, it's like you have pizza, you have a ton of pizza, you have like burritos, uh, you have, you know, the danger dogs. So they're, they're uh, cooking hot dogs in the street and wrapping them in uh, bacon and putting onions and, and peppers. 
Um, I think those are the three that I think of the most. So, I mean, from experience, like being out late at night, for me, it's like pizza or burritos most of the time. Um, there's a pizza place not too far from where I'm at, Soma Pizza on 3rd Street. They're open till like 2 or 3 in the morning. So you can get you can get a slice from them. Uh, burritos, like if you're in the Mission, there's a ton of places. Um, there's also a place in North Beach. Uh, so... I think those are like the late night options, but um, I think it would be cool if there were more, more options and if there was more street food available, but I, I understand the concerns with, uh, you know, health codes and all that kind of stuff. Cause I, I was in India uh, one time it was like a, on a school trip and they basically forbid us from having street food. They were like, we're not going to deal with somebody getting sick on this trip. And then, you know, not being able to go on all of these planned like visits that we have and this I stay, stick with the itinerary. So they were just taking us to like American restaurants and we went to one restaurant where they were like playing Michael Jackson and serving us burgers and fries and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, if I could do India again, I would love to go try the street food. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, uh, whether it's fortunate or unfortunate in the U.S. You know, so essentially on your school trip, you traveled 18 hours, 19 hours by flight to go to a restaurant that played Michael Jackson and served you a burger that could that you could get in your backyard anytime. Yeah. Uh, on your podcast, Andrew, you talk a lot about food, but whenever you mentioned a restaurant, I noticed you also go with a, a beverage pairing. Um, so, for example, sasaki, you mentioned sake. At um, Aquarela, you mentioned wine. You had some wine with uh, your meal, um, and then Argentine restaurant um, Lolinda, you mentioned the cocktail menu, and I see you on video having a glass of something can you tell us about what you're drinking right now and also maybe one of your favorite drinks that you like to have um so i have a bottle of like some uh, reposado tequila and then at home i just keep it simple just mix it with some orange juice um you know if i'm going to a bar i'll do something a little bit different like a paloma which is like uh, tequila with grapefruit juice and some lime the tequila uh with orange juice is kind of like inspired mm -hmm. by like the tequila sunrise uh, which has some additional ingredients as well. Uh, yeah, when it comes to drinks, um, I I think I prefer like cocktails and wine more so over beer. Like I will I'll drink beer sometimes, uh, but I feel like it just uh, kind of fills you up very quickly. And it seems like everybody is on an IPA kick these days. And for me personally, like I can't do IPAs. Like I just haven't acquired the taste for it. Like I prefer like a pilsner. Um, or a, or a lighter beer. I mean, I prefer wine. Like I think I never drank wine really before I moved to San Francisco. So, you know, being in the Bay area, there's just this wine culture. You're very close to Napa Valley to Sonoma Valley. Uh, there's a lot of good wineries close by and a lot of people that really enjoy it and appreciate it. So I think that kind of, uh, influenced my taste. Uh, so I definitely enjoy like a good, um, a good cab, a good Cabernet, um, a good Malbec, uh, a Syrah. Uh, when it comes to cocktails, um, I think my experience traveling to Cuba really got me into uh, mojitos. My experience traveling to Mexico, um, I was in Guadalajara and in the Jalisco region is where they produce a lot of tequila. So, you know, that kind of got, got me more interested in tequila and more so like learning how to appreciate it, um, you know, sipping it slowly rather than what a lot of people in America do, which is like take shots. 
Um, and, and then I think it's because, you know, a lot of people don't uh, pay, pay the money for like tequila that's been aged. That's a little bit more expensive, but has a much better flavor profile uh, compared to what you would buy at, at a bar. If you, if you get the, uh, the well drink, you know, if you get like the cheapest tequila that they have, yes, it does taste awful. Uh, so, but if you get something that's been aged, like I was saying, I have the Reposado, which has been aged over a year, uh, has more flavor to it. So, um, yeah, so for tequila cocktails, like the Paloma, uh, for, for rum, you have the Mojito. Say another, uh, you know, when it comes to spirits, like whiskey Mm -hmm. would be the other one that, that I have kind of gotten into, like whiskey highball. I mean, I, uh, you know, wouldn't say that I know a lot about drinks, but, um, enjoy trying new things and and especially you know it really can make a dinner a lot better when you find the right drink uh to pair with the food or you know you find the specialty that a restaurant has to offer right uh, and i think that's what makes this podcast exciting is you try out a lot of different things even if you might not like them and we get to hear about them afterwards and but um what you said about tequila though um so i think uh maybe in western culture um people think a lot about um, when you think about aging a drink, you know, 12, 15 years scotch, whiskey, um, they would pay a lot of money for beef drinks. But when you went to Mexico, you're saying that's what they would drink. But instead of scotch, it would be tequila. And it would be just as enjoyable sipping that compared to a 15-year scotch. Um, so when I was in Mexico, there um, they grow the agave plant all over the state of Jalisco. But there is a city called Tequila that has become a tourist destination in itself uh, because they people go there and they 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 do these tours where you'll stop at different distilleries on the way uh to go visit the town. So that's what we did and and when you go to the distilleries they they show you what it tastes like to have tequila that's been aged for a different amount of time and then you can kind of start to appreciate like the difference in the flavors. And when you go to a cantina, uh you know, some of the bars in in Mexico, um you find the the drink options that they have is a lot of tequila and then a lot of you know cheaper beer like a corona modelo uh some something like that you know different mexican beers that they would have so because you know they they grow it locally they don't have to import it it's less expensive for them to you know produce and sell at bars so um that's the drink that people prefer and you can make you can make it with a cocktail you can have a you know paloma there are also you know nice bars where you'll just uh, sip a tequila that's been aged you know haven't really had a lot of like good whiskey that has been aged for a long time um, but when I've had it like it's been nice to to try it and so I can appreciate you know a good aged whiskey a good aged tequila um, you know maybe it just depends on the occasion and uh, who you're with one thing I haven't gotten into is gin yet um, similar to like the IPA like it just haven't, haven't acquired the taste for it I have I have some friends that said, you know, they're going to give mm. you a proper introduction to gin and sometime we'll, um, you know, see how, how it should be, uh, how it should be enjoyed, you know, maybe what kind of cocktails. Yeah, there's uh, there's only that, two so. types of people in the um, world is one is people who like gin and two is uh, people who haven't been properly introduced to gin. So hopefully you fall into the latter category and you'll <laughs> fall into one uh, sometime soon after this all blows over and you get your proper introduction. Whenever I listen to these podcasts, I noticed you, uh, even in, in this one that we're recording right now, you mentioned a lot of 
names, you name drop a lot of companies. Um, like uh, today is One Market Restaurant, which is featured. Um, you dropped your previous employer. You dropped um, one of your the meal services that you're using to uh, for your lunches. Is this a paid endorsement or is it just Andrew being Andrew? I'm just natural Midwestern boy. Whatever I do, I tell people. At this time, there's no paid endorsements yet. Um, gotcha. <laughs> uh, you know, there, there are opportunities through the the app that i use i record everything through anchor and they do uh sponsorships if you get your listenership high enough mm. um i think i think i'm very far away from reaching those numbers that is a question that i get sometimes like what is my goal with the podcast how far do i want to take it um you know do i want to monetize it do i you know do i want to like market and grow it aggressively um you know the reason i started it was because it's like an interest it's a hobby it's like a passion project for me. And I think that hasn't really changed. Like if, if for some reason it were to um, grow and become, uh, you know, to start to grow in numbers and spread quickly, um, that would be, that would be exciting. That would be um, something that I would really enjoy. But I think um, it's not, it's not like a goal of mine to eventually monetize it. I think I really enjoy it because of, the fact that it's a hobby for me and a lot of my guests have been uh, just close friends, uh, family, and it's been fun just to hang out with them and be able to like ask them questions that maybe we wouldn't ask if we were just, you know, hanging out in a casual setting. So uh, it's been really fun. And uh, for now it's, uh, you know, no, no money is coming in. through. <laughs> right. And I think that's the beauty of it is it's because it's um, there's no money involved. You have no monetary um, incentive to do anything you 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 can be genuine you can talk about what's really on your mind and that feeling of genuinity goes plays out to the listeners who probably enjoy listening to that more than oh today's podcast is brought to you by um um pwc pwc and that kind of thing you know so I'm, yeah, save, i like save, that yeah. save people a little bit of time yeah through not running ads at least you you get uh you know 30 seconds of your day back when you listen to the podcast right right all right. Well, Andrew, thank you for letting me interview you um, on your own podcast. I hope the listeners had a as good of a time as I did asking you all these questions and learning more about you. Yeah, Danny, thank you so much for interviewing me. I love the lightning round. That's not something that I've done before, but uh, you know, because you introduced that into the podcast, it might have to be something that we uh, continue, continue that tradition going forward. And I think it would be fun to do uh, Danny Chang part two, and then we'll flip the roles around and I'll interview you once, once the restaurants open back up and uh, we're able to, uh, to get back to our, our typical uh, schedules. Um, yeah, should be fun. So yeah, thank you so much. All right. For, thank uh, you for having me for doing the interview today.